guys to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. I think I could listen to Jack play all day. What a gift. And if you would, please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to start off in verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit through utterance of wisdom. To another one, the utterance of the knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually individually as he wills. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. One of my favorite time periods within the church is the period known as the Reformation. It took place in the 1600s. Uh, Some of it predated a little bit of the 1600s in Zurich. But I would argue this is one of the greatest revivals within church history. Uh, People return to salvation by faith alone, and Christ alone, by grace alone. All to the glory of Christ alone, or all to the glory of God alone. During this time period, uh, what brought about this great revival? And scripture becomes like the centerpiece of this. So scripture alone becomes the center of the lives of the people. But what brought about the need for this great revival? One of the things that, uh, that contributed to the need for the Reformation to take place was the idea that Scripture during this time period was not in the native language of the people. So only the priest had access to the knowledge of Scripture. Why? Because the Scriptures were written in Latin. The tongue of the people during that day, the language they spoke, was German. So what happens as a result of this is the priests reserve sole rights to interpretation of Scripture. You then create two classes of people. You have the clergy who are the people who listen to the the, the pastor preach. They listen to what he says it means. And then you have the the clergy. So you have the laity, sorry, the laity, and then you have the clergy who then are the priests, who have the sole interpretation of Scripture. They're the only ones who can read the Bible. They're the only ones who can understand the Bible. And you create two classes of people. Martin Luther comes along, and he writes uh, a, a book it comes to be known as uh, the Christian nobility to the German people, or a letter to the Christian nobility of the German people. In this book, he argues that all people should have access to the Scriptures. All people should be able to read them in their own language and interpret them. The Roman Catholic Church doesn't have the sole authority of interpretation of Scripture. Luther argues in this, there's not two classes of people. There's not clergy who have access to Scripture and laity who do not. He says, we're all priests. Every single person 
should have access to the Scriptures. Every single person should be able to read them and understand them. When this two-class system is set up, what happens is this. The clergy, the ministers, then are responsible for all the ministry within the church. And the laity then are responsible for supporting the pastors who are doing the ministry of the Lord. The spiritual people, the less spiritual people. But Luther says, no, we've got it wrong. We are all called into the ministry of the Lord. We're all called to be Bereans and listen to what the pastor is going to be preaching on and examine it to see like they did with Paul. Is his words in accordance with the scripture? We're all called to go out and do the ministry of a priest. As Deuteronomy looks forward to one day we will all be priests, a kingdom of priests. Now we hear this and we think Martin Luther had it right. You know, he's got this thing down. Yeah, we're all called to ministry. Amen. Go on. But, fast forward now. There's a famous uh, Christian author, John Maxwell. He's kind of written every Christian leadership book ever. Um, it's just the nature of it. He coined this, this phrase. And in, in this phrase, he makes this interesting point. It became popular. It's even used in the secular business world now as well. Uh, it's called the 80-20 rule. And the 80-20 rule says this. 80% or 20% of the congregation does 80% of the work. While 80% of the congregation sits passively and watches 20% do the work. Now we say we believe in the chief priesthood of all believers. All believers are called into the ministry. But the thing that Maxwell notes is this. Why is it that when we look around congregations that a small majority of them are the only ones doing the work? Why aren't we all engaged in the mission of God? Now, you may say, we look at First Baptist Pile Hill and we say, I don't think that 80-20 is right. You know, that number may be a little different. I've been in large churches and I've been in small churches, but there always seems to be a lack of workers. There always seems to be a lack of people serving in the ministries of the church. Why is that the case? I want to examine that question for us today as we dive into this text. Why is there a shortage of workers? And why is it that greater ministry could not be done if all of us are getting involved in this ministry? Furthermore, another question adding to this. How can you, to make it personal, how can you get involved in the ministry here at First Baptist Powell? We began this series asking the question, what is a healthy member? Pastor Tim started this off and he says, a healthy member is one who is involved in the, uh, who assembles with the church. He goes to church. He's faithfully there. Throughout the New Testament, we see this idea. There's no rogue Christianity. You know, just me and Jesus, I don't need anybody else. New Testament's written to churches or pastors of churches. Pastor Hunter then went on last week, if you remember, and he discussed another characteristic of a healthy church member is that he prays. He described it like oxygen. You know, you can go without it for a period of time, but at some point you're probably going to die. That's how prayer is in the life of the church. Today, we are going to be focusing on 
A healthy member is one who serves within the life of the church. Before we dive into this passage, I think the way we view it and the reason we have the problem that exists within the church is this. We view ministry within the church, or we believe the gospel and the gospel message is this. We, we think it's like an airplane. You know, I need the gospel right here at the beginning to get me up in the air. I need to go up. It's got to take me up in the air. And then I need it at the end of my life to help me safely land at my desired destination, heaven. So it's got to get me here at the beginning. It's got to take me up. And then towards the end, I need to be landing safely in my desired destination, which is heaven. I don't care what happens in the middle. You know, I just want to comfortably sleep. Jesus, take the will. May write a song about that one day. But during this plane ride, I want to be comfortable, you know? I don't want you to ask me to do anything. You know, don't put annoying people around me. And don't ask me to do much. I just want to sleep and cruise my way into that desired destination. I want to change that around. My hope is to change that around our view of this airplane. And stop thinking of it as the gospel and the Christian message is the plane that gets me there. The gospel is the fuel for the plane. It takes us off. The gospel is what takes us off. It sustains us along the way. It fuels us as we're going to our desired destination. And it's the thing that helps us land safely where we're going. So the gospel is the thing that fuels Christian ministry. So, in light of that, I want to dive into this passage and see what this gospel-fueled ministry or service looks like within the church. If you like taking notes, I have uh, three points for us. Three points are this. Every Christian has been given a gift from the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has been given a gift from the Holy Spirit. Second point. We are gifted to serve the needs of the body. We are gifted to serve the needs of the body. And then finally, gifts in motion are love and action. Gifts in motion are love and action. All right, point one, let's dive into this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. Every Christian has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit or from the Holy Spirit. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 12, 5 through 7, and then we're going to look also down at verse 11 as well. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All of these are empowered, so all these gifts are empowered by the same uh, Spirit who apportions them to each one individually as He wills. Here's the theme that we're going to see throughout Scripture. We're going to be hopping around a little bit today. This is a theme that we're going to see throughout Scripture. Is that as soon as a person encounters the living God, what happens is God then sends him out into the world on mission. They meet God, they encounter God. It's like getting hit by a truck. And then all of a sudden their life has changed dramatically. And God enlists them into ministry. They're called to go out and advance his kingdom mission. Think throughout the entire Old Testament with me. Starting off with Abraham. He encounters God. God then tells him to leave Ur and go to the place he doesn't know, which is going to be Canaan. 
Okay? We see that with Abraham. Then after Abraham, what happens? Fast forward. Let's go to another key figure. He encounters Noah. God then equips him and calls him to build the ark. Fast forward then to Exodus. God encounters Moses. What happens with Moses? He meets him at a burning bush. And then God sends him to Pharaoh. Now up to the prophets. What happens with them? Maybe Isaiah, think about it, he's got this glorious vision where all of a sudden he goes into the throne room of God and then he sees the glory of God and it calls him to fall down on his face and he says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. They bring a tongue, then put it to his mouth, atonement. And then he is sent out. Who will go for us? Here I am, Lord, send me. Think about Ezekiel. He has a vision similar to Isaiah's. He encounters the living God who's riding in on this chariot with his giant wheels and it looks like they've got spinners on the inside the way it's described. And all of a sudden he encounters the living God and then he falls down and God lifts him up. And then God sends him out on mission. It doesn't stop though in the Old Testament. Jesus encounters the disciples while they're fishing. What's he say to them? Follow me. And then by the end of his ministry, what does he do? He sends them out on mission. The Great Commission. Brothers, sisters, every single one of us, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have been given a gift to use. We are called to go out and advance His kingdom here on earth. Sadly, though, there's so many with many members within churches, not just our church, that we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we want to take the airplane approach that no one bother me. I don't want to be around annoying people. I just want to cruise into heaven with no obligations. What stops us or what prevents us from using our gifts though? Come up with several traps. Things that slow us down or prevent us from using these gifts that God has given us. First trap is this. We approach the church as consumers rather than investors. We fall into the trap of thinking, the church is here to serve me. It's all about my needs and my wants. Rather than I've been purchased by the blood of Christ in order that I may be sent out to serve him. Do you see how that's backwards? We, we fall into the trap of thinking it's all about consumerism rather than investing in his kingdom. Stop me if you've heard this one, okay? I'll just show you how this is lived out practically. I stopped going to X church because they didn't play the music that I liked. You see? Or I stopped going to, I started going to Y church because they had a better children's ministry than X church. You heard that one? I stopped going to Z Church, just making these generic letters here, Z Church, because they didn't have the ministry that I really like. Do you see how this focus is on me, me, me? It's about building me up and me being happy. Where is the kingdom advancing, the focus on helping others love Jesus at in that? If we're hopping church to church until we find the perfect music 
or hopping church to church until the children's ministry is just right. Not too hot, not too cold, but just right. I may write a book about that as well. We're never going to be satisfied and we will never use our gifts to build up churches. Another trap. Second trap that we use or the reason we do not use our gifts is this. We think that our gifts can't be used. God has gifted each one of us with a gift and we think, you know, my gift and my gifting cannot be used within this congregation. I think it's ironic that Abraham, the start of his ministry is around 70s or 80s of his life. This is not when he's like 13, 15, 20. No. This is 70s or 80s is when he starts ministry. Guys, retirement's not the finish line. Abraham shuts that down real quick. It's the starting line. Likewise, sometimes we use our age with young people to think, you know, I can't use my gifts and my service within the church. So I'm so encouraged when I see young people up here helping out and being involved within the service of the church. Think about this. Most scholars speculate that uh, Timothy was probably in the range of 16 to 21 years old when he started his ministry with Paul. Guys, the ministry, if you are a young person, is not something that's off in the distant future. Don't see it as this thing that's far away that one day when I get old enough, I'm going to get involved in the ministry of this church. It's now. If you are in Christ Jesus, use your giftings to serve the body. Third trap that we fall into is this. We wait on ministry to be formed or think pastors have to create it. We wait on ministry to be formed or think pastors have to be the ones that create it. Previously, when I was a senior pastor, one of the things I would encounter all the time, he would come to me and be like, you know, uh, Adam, I think we need to start this ministry. You know, I really think our church needs this ministry and this thing being going on within our church. My response is always this. Praise the Lord, brother. Go do it. Of which you then get the, the, the crazy look in the side head like, wait a minute, no, no, that's not what I meant. What I meant was I want you to go do it. You see that? Like we're waiting for permission to go out and serve the body. And we want the pastors to be the ones doing it. We're falling into the same trap as the Reformation. Thinking the ministers are the ones doing all the service. Guys, if we left this up to the pastors and the assistants and those who are on staff here to do all the ministry within the church, there's so much going to be left undone. We need you to go. Think about what Jesus does. He equips and invests the disciples and then sends them out. The job of a minister is not to do all the ministry within the church. It's to equip the saints to go out and do it. What does this look like in real life? As I'm looking around the room, what do we, what do, how does we apply this right now? It starts with each and every one of us looking around the room and seeing what are the needs of my body? What's, what's the needs around me? 
Who can I serve? Who can I help? Who needs something right now? I start looking maybe at VBS or I start looking at children's ministry. How can I serve there? How can I help them? I start looking at the people beside me and I think not necessarily just with ministries but with people. How can I help them? How can I love them? How can I serve and bless this family? We look around for hurting people and we come alongside them and we use our gifts to serve and love them. This may mean for some of us that we start inviting people into our houses. We always think ministry takes place here. No, serving the body means bringing people to your house, inviting them over, having lunch. But sadly, what we often do is we build up these big fences around our house. We've got to keep the sinners out. And we think the sinners are our crazy neighbors. And then all of a sudden, one day, we come to the realization that the sinners are not the crazy neighbors. It's us. And we start to view our houses as like monasteries to hide away from people. Rather than mission outposts to bring people to them in order that ministry can be done. God has given you a house to serve the body. He's given you a car. He's given you these things to serve the people around you. Not to keep you away from them. Point one, every Christian has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. Point two, we are gifted to serve the needs of the body. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to switch to another passage here, but look with me what he says here. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why did you receive your gift? For the common good. It's for the body. Now flip with me to 1 Peter 4. Let me another passage we dive into here real quick. We're going to plan ourselves here for a little bit, so go ahead and turn there. Look with me in verse 7. The end of things is at hand. Therefore... We'll skip down. So in light of the end of things, the end of all things is at hand. Now skip down to verse 10. So in light of this, as each of you has received a gift, use it. Okay, so we've all received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in light of the end of all things being at hand, what does he say? Use your gifts to serve the body. You've been gifted for this purpose. It's not to store up and to sit with the rest of our lives until eternity. You've been given with a unique gifting for the purpose of helping the body. Tim Keller, famous pastor, he passed away this past Friday. Ironically, I had this in here, but before he passed away, I had to update my notes here. Defines Christian ministry as this. I think his definition is helpful. Uh, Christian ministry is taking your gifts and resources and meeting the needs of others in Christ's name. 
So Christian ministry is taking your gifts and your resources and meeting the needs of others in Christ's name. Okay, if that's what our gifts are for, it's for service, meeting the needs of others. It's looking around, seeing what are the needs around me, and I look and I see people and I think, you know, how can I serve them or how can I bless this family? Why aren't we doing it? I came up with another trap for this one. Trap one. There's only one for this one. We see our gifts as our identity, or what I call the spiritual gift assessment trap. Many of us in here at some point have taken a spiritual life survey. You know those tests that tell you what your spiritual gifts are? Now, there's probably some redeeming quality to them out there. I think some people like them. For me, though, like, the things make me cringe. Like, I would rather put on, like, lose a bet and put on an Alabama jersey. Like, it just, it's something inside of me. I can't stand the things. Like, but don't worry. I don't bet, so I won't be wearing an Alabama jersey. Baptists don't do that. Um, No. I just, I don't know, they, they made me cringe. But you know what I'm talking about, the spiritual surveys. And what happens is you get the results, and all of a sudden it tells you that your gift is teaching or encouragement, uh, or uh, maybe it's service and hospitality. And they have these surveys, and you get these results. And then what happens then is for the rest of your life, you're like, this is who I am. This is my gifting. I will forever be gifted at this, and I will always be doing this. So all of a sudden... We have this mind, mindset, and we start thinking that if I'm not doing this, then I'm not using my giftings, and therefore it's not needed. And we start to get in this trap that it, it's who we are. It's our identity. My grandfather did it before me, and his grandfather did it before him, and this is what I've done my whole life. And therefore, if I ever challenge that, it's like attacking the sacred cow, you know, like you can't touch it. This is who I am. Let me show you why we should view our gifts as dynamic, ever-changing. You may have a gift for a season or for a period, and it may look different later on in life. These gifts were for the purpose of building up the body. I'll give you one good example to show you why this is so important. Pastor Phil is an incredibly gifted teacher and preacher and pastor. All of us in here have been blessed by his ministry at some point in time. Amen. That's a good amen, by the way. Uh, But if his gift is static and it's always teaching, that man would be in the pulpit till he croaked in the pulpit. I'm sure he doesn't want to do that. No, our gifts are changing. You've been given a gift to serve the congregation. And those may change at times. If you see yourself as only doing this, and this is who you are, then the dilemma is, or the problem that will take place, is that you will never look around the body to think, hey, there's currently a need in this ministry or in this place. Maybe I can jump in and try to serve in that area and help out in that ministry need because there's a need in my church. You won't even consider that because you see your gift is this because a test at some point told you it was. 
But the beauty of seeing gifts is ever-changing. Is I can look in the nursery, I can look in youth ministry and think, you know, hey, I may not be good with little kids, or I may not be good in this, or, you know, I don't really have a passion for this. But I'll try it out because I think my church needs some help there right now. And then all of a sudden you begin to flourish. And you really fall in love with that ministry. And the congregation is blessed by it. Stop thinking of your gifts as your identity and start thinking them as tools in your tool belt. You may need different ones for different times. Ultimately, it's there to get the job done and to serve the body. It's for the good of others. You need different tools at different times in your life. Next, we saw that every Christian has been given with a gift by the Holy Spirit, point one. Point two, we're gifted to serve the needs of the body. That's why your gift is there, to serve our needs. And finally, gifts in motion are love in action. Look what Peter says here in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, so in light of the end of being at hand, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. He doesn't say the end is near. Preach and who cares about how people feel? You know, that's their problem. If they don't interpret well, if I'm not doing it in a loving fashion, that's on them, not me. The end's near. No, he doesn't say that. God is love. Therefore, we are to be loving. That doesn't compromise truth at all. Truth and love can coincide with one another. But he says the end is near, so faithfully preach and faithfully love. Both of these things are important. Let's flip over one other passage. Turn with me. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12. Turn back to 1 Corinthians. But we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. To this church that Paul literally had to write a letter to remind them all these giftings that they had. Maybe his most gifted church that he had that he had written to. Think about this. There were so many gifts being used within the congregation. Paul says, hey, I need to write to you guys and tell you that in light of all these gifts that people had in your congregation, here's how we need to keep the church service orderly because so many people were using their gifts. Like they were that gifted. And for a congregation that is so gifted, he literally goes from talking about the spiritual gifts, what they look like within the light of the church, to the very next thing. And this is what he says in the very next thing. Look with me in 13. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So now, fast forward to 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these 
is love. To this congregation that is incredibly gifted, he says, guys, don't forget love. Don't use your gifts to build up yourself and for people to know your name and for you to become a celebrity and to build up your own kingdoms. Use your gifts to serve the body. Use your gifts in love. If you have the tongues of men and angels, but not love, you're but a noisy gong and clanging cymbal. What Paul is talking about here is during this time period, the pagans would often go into their temples and they would hit a cymbal or, or clang a gong together. Uh, in order, or clang a gong, so it's uh, hanging up there. Uh, they would clang a gong in hopes to get the attention of their, go- uh, of their gods. Similar to Elijah confronting all the pagans on Mount uh, Carmel. Uh, and, and what does he say? Maybe your gods are on vacation. Scream louder. Get their attention. Maybe, maybe something's going on. Maybe they can't hear you. What these people were doing is this. They would hit these symbols and hopes to get the attention of their gods so that they would serve them. And Paul says, if you have all these gifts and yet you're not using them in love, you're just like the pagans. You're trying to, to serve your way into heaven, to, to get the attention of God or other people. Guys, your gifts are not as meant to be a way to get you into heaven. You can't serve your way into heaven. No amount of service that you can do can get you there. The way in which you're brought into the presence of God for eternity is only by the finished work of Christ. He came, lived the perfect life, died the death that you deserved, resurrected, ascended, and our response is not obey until we can get there. No, he is Jacob's ladder. He has made the way for us. Our response is repentance and faith in the finished work of Christ. But sadly, we approach it that I serve in this church because I've got to get to heaven. I've got to do that. I've got to get so many hours in so that God is happy with me. Do you not realize that in your service, when you take that approach to service within the church, you're literally going into further debt to God? You can't serve your way to heaven. Why? Because He's the one who gave you the energy to do it. We don't serve in the church for God's approval. We serve from God's approval. Let me say that one more time. We don't serve for God's approval. We serve from it. Or as Martin Luther, whom Jack played his famous hymn, Mighty Fortresses Are God, worded it, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Our service in the church is a way to love God and love our neighbor. Keeping this balance is incredibly important. Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve. We must balance these two things out. And as we're serving, why do we serve in the way that we do? Why do we serve in a loving way? 
because God is love. Just as God is merciful, therefore we are to be merciful. God is forgiving, therefore we are to be forgiving. Reflecting the character of God. I want to leave with, we'll have this as the last hurrah. How do we apply these truths? We're called to service. How do we serve in our congregation in this way? If we're called to do these things, what does it look like? I want to have like a congregation, if you want to think of it this way in, in football terms, have a, the, the huddle before the last play, so a congregational huddle where we're gathering together. I'm getting ready to tell you what the next play is so that once we say amen from here, we don't go out talking about lunch. No, we go to the line of scrimmage and we're getting ready to go out and we're going to have the Josh Dobbs, Juwan Jennings pass and the game's going to be over. If you don't know that, look that up. You'll be a Tennessee fan from that point forward. Amen. That was worth the whole sermon. Um, now, our congregational huddle. So we're huddled up right now. This is what you're going to go from here with. This is the call to action. And when I tell you one of these, it's going to change the way that you view ministry. Because it's not what you expect me to say. First, hold that. First, for some of us, this means that we stop waiting for someone to invite us to serve in a particular ministry or serve somewhere within the church, and we start looking for areas that we can serve, whether that's within a ministry or serving someone within our body. We stop being consumers, and we start investing to build up the congregation. For many of us, that's what it looks like. God is calling us to stop focusing on me and me and me and start looking out and looking around. Next, this may mean that we reach out to ministry leaders and ask them, hey, how can I get involved in children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, senior adult ministry, VBS? How can I serve? What needs do you have? Is there any way that I can come and help you out? Street hope. The list could go on. We ask ourselves, how can I serve within those ministries? Maybe the academy. How can I minister to the academy? What's something I can do? How can I bless the academy? How can I love them? Now here's the game changer. And this is not going to be what you expect me to tell you. This does not mean, let me repeat, this does not mean that everyone in this congregation is called to serve in a program within our church, whether that's youth ministry, college ministry, children's ministry, uh, whatever that may be. Allow that one to sink in for a minute. Wait a minute, you just told me, and we spent the last 30 minutes here, telling me that I need to get involved in service within the church. And now you're telling me I don't have to get involved in these ministries? Schizophrenia. No. It changes the way we view ministry. I start to realize ministry is not simply taking place within these four walls. 
and within our church schedule. This takes ministry outside of this building, outside of these walls, and it brings it to my dinner table. Do you see how that's different? Ministry isn't just taking place here and now. Once we close, once the music's been played, we say amen, there's a benediction, you're sent out, ministry continues on. The word mission literally means, missio, means sent out. It means that it's not always within the four walls, not always during the church schedule, and it brings it to my dinner table. That means ministry takes place outside of the 8.30 to 12 o'clock-ish hour that we're here, or hours that we're here on Sunday, and it takes it from that time period, and it takes it across the street to Joe and Amanda. This means that you may spend less time here on campus and more time around a grill in your backyard, of which many of you can give me an amen on that. Why? Because we're viewing ministry oftentimes in the wrong mindset. That it has to take place here. That all the ministry within the church takes place here. And it's all about inviting people here. I'm not asking you to stop doing what you normally do on a regular basis. What I am asking you to do is this. The things in which you currently do on a regular basis, start doing them with a ministry focus. If you go to the ball field, go and watch someone else's kid. You already enjoy going to the ball field. Why? Because you do it every day. I had a family within this church. My, my kids play on the middle school golf team. They came and visited and watched my daughter and son play golf. They don't even have a kid on the team. Had another member invite my daughter to get her nails done. Discipleship. Have another family here that's invited our family over for game night. Fellowship. Discipleship. Another family... I have the joy of uh, running into ever so often at Chick-fil-A where he is there with uh, students investing in them. I have another member within this church that runs a business and allows students to, to work in that business so they can get training and discipleship takes place through that. In the area of youth, I know of teenagers here who offer to watch young children so that couples can go on dates or get out of the house. You may have forgotten what those years are like, but you're like, am I ever going to get a break? And the way in which these young teenagers serve is they offer to care for other people's kids so that they can go on a date. Ask me their names later. I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's things like this. I'll give you one more example. When I lived in Louisville, there's a dear friend and his house for college students. There were college students at his house literally 24 hours a day. Like, they basically, they had dorms and they had room and board and everything like that, but no, they lived at his house. And him and his wife and his kids were there and 
literally every time I went there, there were a handful of college students there. Uh, to the point where they had refrigerator rights. You know what I mean? Like, you know when like, you go to a person's house, like the first few times you feel a little awkward, but like, can I get something out of your fridge? Uh, or do you have anything to drink in here? Like you ask permission. But then you get to the point where you've been there enough, you just walk in and open the fridge like it's your own. That's what it was like. And they would go to their house. And the reason that most of them started going there was they're like, hey, come use our washer or dryer so you don't have to pay for it on campus. And then all of a sudden, you have 10, 15, 20 college students that are there 24 hours a day. Discipleship takes place. They're living life together. As Rosaria Butterfield has worded it in the title of her book, the gospel comes with a house key. We need to stop viewing ministry as programs that have to exist here. And start viewing it as serving within our communities and having people over to our houses and loving and serving the body. We could keep going through a list of different ways that people are doing these things. But I want you to leave with the challenge of this. Gospel ministry doesn't look always like, can I have permission from a pastor? And it looks more like inviting people into your lives. And loving them that way. Brothers, sisters, if you are in Christ Jesus, use your gifts to serve the body. Why do we serve? We serve so that others can see Christ is all satisfying. It's not we're working our way up to heaven. We want to show that Christ meets the deepest desires of every individual's hearts. And every single one of us in this room, no matter your age, no matter your occupation, we can do that and help others see Christ as infinitely satisfying. We don't serve because we have to. We serve to show Christ as beautiful. Guys, maybe you do not know this Christ that we've been talking about who calls us into His mission who sends us out into the world. If you do not know Him today and what He has done to make it so, who came not to be served, but to serve, as I mentioned earlier, turn from your sins and look to Him in faith. He will meet all the longings of your soul. And if you have made or want to make that decision or discuss that further after the service, someone will be in the crossroads and would love to talk to you about that. I want to end with this, my second ending. A healthy church member, he attends church. A healthy church member prays. And a healthy church member serves within the church. Are you doing those things? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, We often fall short because of busy schedules, mixed priorities, desiring and focusing on the wrong things. Have not served your body. You've called us into fellowship with one another. You've called us to serve one another. You've called us to do this in love. We have fallen short of this. Lord, please forgive us for these things. But give us a heart and give us eyes to see needs within our congregation 
and help us and empower us and motivate us to go out to meet those needs. We love you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.